Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And I've entitled our Bible study today, God's Heart is for All the Nations. God's Heart is for All the Nations. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are very important. They're filled with foundations and essentials in understanding the the flow of biblical theology throughout the rest of the Bible. In the first 11 chapters, there are many firsts, like creation, man, woman, marriage, the Sabbath rest, labor, rebellion, sin, and murder. We remember we received the first insight and preview of the gospel message in Genesis 3, verse 15. Then we had that hidden gem of the gospel in chapter 5. And now we come to a new chapter, chapter 10, an amazingly accurate historical document that's often referred to as the table of nations. The table of nations. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. The flood's over, and it's time to repopulate the earth. Noah has died at the ripe old age of 950 years old. And his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, begin to reproduce upon the earth. I mean, chapter 10 is really an astounding chapter. It's a brief history of most ethnic backgrounds known to man today. We learn of all nations and people. They come from one source, a common ancestor, Noah, even coming back from Noah to Adam and Eve. There's a unity of humanity. That's a fact. It may not look like that today. There's such division, even as we were praying today, such division and animosity. But in God's perspective, there's a beautiful unity of humanity. There's a common link of brotherhood that binds the human race together. Now in chapter 10, there's 70 families or nations that are named. And from here, the number 70 becomes the number of nations. It will often reflect in the scriptures the numbers of nations or representative of the whole world. Uh, You're in Genesis 10. Go to Genesis 46 because the rabbis often will relate this passage or the number 70 to Genesis 46. Notice with me. I'll read it to you in Genesis 46 and verse 26. It says, All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph were born to him in Egypt were two persons. And all the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. And why is that significant? Well, because God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and blessed them. And it was God's goal through Abraham to bless the world. Through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed. Because right here in the beginning, once again, we're, remember, we're reminded that God wants to reach the nations. That God has a vision for the world. 
And I want you to see how this connects into the new covenant. It's really a neat thing to see as you consider the ministry of Jesus. So I want you to change your thinking a minute, and I want you to consider the ministry that is happening in the life of Jesus. You have Jesus as he is the fulfillment of God's blessing to the nations. He is the fulfillment. God has kept his promise in bringing a blessing to the world through the seed, his shed blood, his death and resurrection. So what does Jesus do in his ministry? He calls together 12 apostles. And that's how he begins. He sends them out. They're used to heal. They're used greatly. They come back with great testimonies. And the number 12, many times in the scriptures, represents the nation of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what does Jesus do? He first gathers 12, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And remember, the Bible says that Jesus came to the Jew first. That's the gospel. The gospel comes to the Jew first. Now turn to Luke chapter 10. This is fascinating. I don't know if you've ever connected from the table of nations, God's heart for the world, and the ministry of Jesus. So go to Luke chapter 10. We'll get to Genesis 10 in a moment. I want to give some preparatory things as we land into chapter 10. When you get there, just pick up in verse 1, Luke chapter 10. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70... 70, 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And what does he say to the 70? 70 representing the whole world, the nations of the world. He says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among the wolves. Now, when you read that, know that the number 70 was not some haphazard random number that Jesus just picked. He picked it on purpose. What I believe Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is saying to us that starting with 12, he went to Israel and to the Jew first. But now he's sending out 70 in his ministry because the day has come and the message will go far beyond the borders of the Holy Land to reach every nation, every people, every kindred, every tribe. And we fast forward to the book of Acts. And instruction to the book of Acts is that they were what? To wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them, until they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And something would happen to this small little group that were waiting in Jerusalem. They would receive the power of the Holy Spirit upon them and the immediate result is that they would become witnesses. And where would they become witnesses? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which is kind of taking it a little bit farther and then taking it outside of the Jewish people. And then what was the final instruction? To the whole world. And here we have a reminder of God's heart for the whole world. Would you never forget that? It doesn't matter what they're saying in the news. It doesn't matter what political view has the popularity to somehow cause you to think of a people group, to to think of an immigration status, to think of something other than God's heart for the world. So that now in some way, you no longer love the world. 
You may not even, here we are, we're, we're sitting in a, in a suburban type church thinking about the blessings of God and the faithfulness of God and we want to worship him and it would be really hard. It really requires a lot of humility to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I don't think I love the whole world. I think I love a portion of the world. I think there are people in the world that I don't love. And it would be hard to admit it, but until you admit it, you won't open a channel for the Holy Spirit to give you an agape love for the world. And not just some generic, it's easy when we think of the world, we think of a globe and just a bunch of faceless people that we'll never meet in our lives. But you know, it's fascinating for us, being the melting pot, being known as a nation as a melting pot, that God brings the world to us. Even if you never have the privilege of traveling anywhere, we live among the world. Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And without a true love of God, let, look, let me put it this way. Let me turn it around and let's just make it, let's bring it down simply. Let, let's just be just very matter of fact in the days in which we live. We're going to pray for unity in the church. And we're going to pray for a great awakening. And we're going to pray that God might use us on our own personal walk. Then we have to deal with this issue of the sin of prejudice. It, it is not from God. It is not from God to be a prejudiced person. And from that word, we, we have the understanding of the definition to prejudge someone. This is something we're all guilty of, some more than others. Prejudice is not from God. The sin of prejudging someone based on their skin color, based on the language that they speak, based on their immigration status, based on where they live, what part of town they're from, it's just not from the Lord. It seems as if a pastor shouldn't have to say that in this modern day, but it's important that we remind ourselves from the voice of God himself that his heart is for the world. That's God's heart. And if we're going to be a part of what he's doing in the earth today, then we need to cultivate a love for the world. We need to confess our sin of prejudice wherever it comes up. Deal a death blow to that part of our flesh so that we might walk in the Spirit. I mean, if you really want to see God use you greatly, personally, then don't fall or participate in the temptation of prejudice. And another way of looking at it in the Scripture is showing partiality. James, in James' letter, talks about the sin of partiality. I think in the old King James, he talked about the respecter of persons. And he uses the example of the rich and the poor. He says, look, and I'll just summarize what James says. He says, look, you know, don't give preference to the rich and make the poor sit on the floor. You treat them the same. You don't give any extra added benefit to the rich. You don't look down on the poor. They are both created in the image of God. And you don't show prejudice. There's not much that puts a person on the wrong side of God faster than prejudice. Jesus came to the earth to save all those who would repent of their sins and turn to him. He didn't come just to save a certain few, a certain segment of the world. He came to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. He came to fulfill all righteousness for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He didn't come to save a certain race of the world and write off other races or ethnicities. He didn't come just to save a certain subgroup. Jesus loves all. Jesus was not and is not a prejudiced man, although the world that he entered definitely is and definitely was and still is, even among us. 
Jesus' example for us to serve everyone equally, regardless of the color of the skin, language they speak, how they look, how they smell, where they live, how much money they have and don't have, whatever it might be, people are people. And they're worthy of our time, our intention, and the love of God that's in us. Be careful, church, not to label someone. What happens in labeling people is very simple. We learned this from Pastor Miles McPherson in his book, The Third Option. The command from God is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what we do. We have different labels that we'll use to slap on somebody that we don't agree with, we don't like, we might be prejudiced toward, so that instead of now seeing them as a neighbor, we see them as our label. And whether it's direct or indirect, whether it's known or unknown, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's irrelevant, the end result is the same. If we label someone and identify them by that label, then somehow we excuse ourselves from giving love because we don't see them as our neighbor. And our culture doesn't, you know, culture does a good job of supporting this, changing the, our, our thinking, whatever the new popular narrative is of the day. And Jesus reminded us in Mark chapter 12 that first of all, the commandment is to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first commandment he said. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no other commandment greater than these. What were we doing tonight? We were praying about unity. And as my friend Tony Clark, pastor in Newport News, will often say, he will often reflect from his perspective as a black pastor serving in a predominantly black congregation in Virginia. He'll say the most segregated day in the country is Sunday morning. And God's desire is for us to be in unity, church, to have a true heart for all people, and to really just be honest. It isn't something that you answer to us as a leadership team. It isn't something that you need to openly demonstrate in some way that you're not like that. And I mean, when we start talking about prejudice, almost immediately there's a defensiveness. So well, not me, not me. I could never be that way. And that may or may not be true. I don't know. I don't walk in your shoes, but I walk in my shoes. And whatever prejudice I have toward whatever situation that comes up, I don't want it in my life. I don't want my ministry lim limited. I, I don't want to learn how to just conveniently label people that I don't want to deal with, or I don't want to serve, or I don't want to go out of my way to die to myself. It just stifles the work of the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Whether you were raised that way, whether you were taught that, whether you learned it, whether it's just something you picked up along the way, it is a sin to be repented from and forsaken. Why? Because we come back to Genesis 10 and right out of the gate we understand God's heart is for the world. And, and I think if we kind of turn, it, turn around a little bit and just like, I am so thankful that God's heart is for the world because I'm part of the world. Like God's love came to me in my worst, where I was born, where I was raised. You know, so many parts of our lives we don't even get to choose. It's just our life. Where we, what family we were born into, what our DNA is, it's just, this is what we were given by the will of God. And it's in Christ these barriers have been broken. And in chapter 10, now coming down to our study today, with all that in mind, I know that genealogies are very easy to skip. 
And you start out the year, especially in Genesis, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And we're like, yay, read the Bible in the year. Chapter one, great. Chapter two, great. Three, four, five, six, seven, ten? No, I don't think so. It's just a bunch of names, 70 of them, 70 different names. And you know, genealogies, they, they take a little extra time. I mean, you, if you really want to study a genealogy and spend some time on it, just get a good Bible dictionary. You can get a good Bible dictionary, you can look up every name. That's really how you learn. Who is this person? What, what, what does this person have? Is there any significance? Sometimes there's great significance, sometimes not so much. But can I just remind you that if we told you that in the Bible, there's a whole list of genealogies from people that went to church at Calvary and your name was in it. Don't you think you'd look for that genealogy? It was like, the most important name would be in there. Here I am, honey. I'm in the Bible. And so these people are just as significant as you. However, they're even in a greater way as they play out God's heart for the world. And, and I can't emphasize this enough. It's just from the Holy Spirit for this moment in time. From the very beginning, God's heart and intention is a love for the whole world. Do you guys get that yet? It's very important. It, it will accentuate and accelerate your usefulness in the hands of God. If you will grasp that, believe it, and live it in your life. And you have to go through your own pains, right? You, you have to really deal with how you've been treated. You might be on the other side of prejudice. Uh, people have been prejudiced towards you taking advantage of you, hurting you deeply. And so what's the response? Forgiveness. Releasing. It's like, oh yeah, pastor, I understand prejudice. I've been treated that way my whole life. And for that, I'm sorry. I wish you wouldn't treat it that way. I wish that it would have been an easier road for you. And even so, nothing is wasted by God. It is developing in you a care and concern for the marginalized. It's developing in you a love for people that are being made fun of or bullied or judged because of the color of their skin or their language or their status. Maybe they grew up in a single home or you're an orphan or you grew up in foster care. All the different pains and difficulties that separate us, it's the love of God that unites us. Always and forever. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And as we live in incredible times where God, you know, if you think about the day in which this age of Gentiles, this age of grace till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, if you consider this, we're living in an age where God is taking Jew and Gentile and grafting them together. That's the church age. We're seeing God bring together diverse groups of people in Christ. And yes, there is a divine order. We learn that God has chosen the Jewish people. It's his divine prerogative. But through that choice, salvation comes to the world. So let's look at some of the names now and jump in to chapter 2. If you want to take notes, you can jot them down in your Bible or you can look up. If you don't have a Bible dictionary, a free Bible dictionary online can be found at blueletterbible.org. Very robust and free website with a lot of Bible study resources so you don't have to spend a lot of money on a library. You can get it right there, blueletterbible.org. Verse 2, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togmarah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dadanim. And from these, the coastlands people of the Gentiles were separated into their lands 
everyone according to his own language, according to their families, into their nations. Japheth. Japheth is, the the descendants of Japheth are primarily the Indo-European people. And so this lineage begins with Japheth, who is the oldest son, and the area they inhabited is the farthest removed from the Palestinian region. Remember in chapter 9, in verse 27, if you want to look back, Noah blessed Japheth's line lineage to be enlarged there in verse 27. He says, May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And these are the sons, Gomer. Now, if you, These are the Germanic peoples from which most of the original peoples of Western Europe come, the original French, Spanish, and Celtic settlers. And then three of Japheth's sons, Magog, Tubal, and Meshach, then verse 2, they settled as far as north of Europe, and they become the Russian peoples. From Madai, in verse 2, come the ancient Medes and those who populated modern-day Iran and Iraq. In verse 2, Javan gave birth to the ancient Greeks, who are now described in detail in verses 4 and 5. In verse 3, the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, which are the modern-day Germans, and they settled north of Judea in the Fertile Crescent area. If you come to Israel with us, one of the ways you can tell the distinction of the Jews that have come back from all throughout Europe is the way that they dress and the hats that they wear. And there is a particular group of Jews, they still identify themselves this way today, they're known as the Ashkenazis. And these were the Jewish people that have returned from Germany and the area surrounding Germany. And I forget which way their hats look, but very fascinating when you see them walk on the Sabbath day uh, to their times of worship at the synagogues. In verse 3, Togmara are those that settled uh, in Armenia. And so the Armenians come through there. And it's interesting for you Bible students in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Togmara are all members of the anti-God alliance in the last days. You learn all that in the first few verses of chapter 10. Don't you ever skip a genealogy again. There is always meat in there if you'll dig a little bit. Let's move on to the sons of Ham. The sons of Ham, the family and lineage of Ham, beginning in verse 6, are the Oriental, African, and Canaanite peoples. In verse 6, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'amah, Sabata'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a'a
Canaan, the Oriental and African nations, Iran, Iraq, are all covered in this area. These were a vigorous and aggressive people, the early empire builders and controllers of human destiny. Verse 6, Cush. Cush is a biblical name for Ethiopia and becomes prophetic as they align with the Antichrist. But when we get to the New Testament, Cush is super important because by the time we get to Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to a eunuch who was from Ethiopia. And God did a great ministry in bringing salvation directly to him. The family of Cush divided. Some founded Babylon, Nimrod, and others went toward Ethiopia. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 13 that the Cushites were dark-skinned and very tall, Isaiah 45, verse 14. In verse 6, Misraim founded Egypt. Verse 6, Put built Libya and the region of North Africa west of Egypt. And Canaan, of course, refers to the peoples who filled the ancient land and the area of Israel, the Hivites, the Jebusites, etc. I want to give a little bit of attention to this guy by the name of Nimrod. Again, looking for Bible names for your kids? Here you have one. Little Nimrod. Nimrod is a very interesting character in the Bible. His name literally means rebel. Rebel. Or to be rebellious. It can also mean valiant and strong. And when you put these definitions together, you have a valiant, strong rebel. Or you could also say a very strong-willed, rebellious man. Now remember, whenever the Bible speaks of rebellion uh, in a character, in a man or a woman, the rebellion is toward God, not necessarily toward one another. However, when you are rebellious toward God, you will also be rebellious toward others. And Nimrod is a great example of that. His life was one long rebellion against the things of God. He's known historically for establishing cities and kingdoms. And it says that in verse 9, it says that he he was a mighty hunter. And just mark that phrase, before the Lord. Just mark that. We'll get back to it in a second. He was a mighty hunter. And so he was talked about as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before the Lord. But according to the rabbis and the Jewish Targum, the rabbis taught that this isn't necessarily a reference toward the hunting of animals as much as it was a hunting or a conquering of the souls of men. And historically, Nimrod, starting with Babel, continuing to Babylon, and thinking of how Babylon represents that end-time city in rebellion toward God, that in the hunting and pursuing and conquering, Nimrod would do whatever, it needed to, whatever he needed to do to abuse people and take advantage of them for his own gain. However, even in his rebellion, it says that he was before the Lord. And I believe God would have us to be encouraged for those situations and people in our lives that are very hard, very difficult, maybe some rebelliousness, some enemies, difficulties, attacks, that what's happening to you tonight is happening before the Lord. It is not unseen. I know it feels like that at times. You kind of, like in in the psalmist, when the psalmist talks about, you know, what is going on? Don't you see God? Why, Why are you allowing this? Many times David would sit there with his harp and begin to to think, you know, what is happening in my life? Why? 
I had someone very close to me recently ask me a couple of questions about why. And we're just driving along and he's like, why this and why that? And it's easy to try to jump in and begin to answer that question, but eventually it's like, you know, those questions aren't, aren't answerable. I, I don't know why. I might be able to give you some theological answer or some principle from the scriptures, but even that's not satisfying because it doesn't really take away the difficulty. You got, man, I've got a nimrod after me, Ed. Why? So I don't know, but it's before the Lord. Nothing is happening apart from God. God sees every wicked person, every wicked deed, and he's aware of everything that goes on, which leads to the next why question. Well, why doesn't he just stop it if he knows it all? Well, some of that is reserved into the mysteries of God's will. I do know this. He has stopped things before. I do know that. I do know that in his sovereignty and his grace, he has intervened. I do know that even if he doesn't stop, I do know that he's going to work all things together for the good. I do know that we're going to grow through the pain. I do know, you know that it's like God has his hand on the thermostat and he doesn't allow it to get hotter than for us to have the way of escape and trusting with our lives. I do know this. I can speak for myself. I may not be able to answer all the why questions, but I certainly can speak from my own personal experience. The things that God have allowed in my life, as painful as they are, have made me a better man. They've made me a more worshipful man. They've made me a more broken man, a more humble man. God is able to use the trials and difficulties in our lives and even the nimrods, just the nimrods, just the name makes you, yeah, even the nimrods. He allows the nimrods. Does that name like resonate yet? Nimrod. People are listening on the radio. Stop it already. Stop it. But even the rebel, even the valiant and the strong, the ones that seem to be getting away with everything, the ones that seem to have all the power and all the leverage and everything that the world values, they seem to be getting away with it. And not only getting away with it more and more and more. I don't know what's happening exactly in the spiritual realm. I don't know how much they're getting away with. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know how miserable their life is. I don't know any of that. But I do know this. It is all happening before the Lord. And he is righteous. And he is just. And nothing, nothing, nothing gets past God. What you sow is what you'll reap. I don't know when, and I don't know how. But you know, it can go both ways, right? You don't have to sow to the flesh. You can sow to the Spirit. You know, what you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap that too. When you sow to righteousness, you'll reap righteousness. When you are a giver, you'll be given to. You know, you'll be blessed. You'll be encouraged. You'll be strengthened. It's more blessed to give than to receive. When you help, when you step into someone's life, when you, when you help someone just get up a little bit, when you go and rescue, when you redeem, when you help restore, God blesses those. So Nimrod, I mean, you're going to read more of him. We'll read ahead in chapter 11 for our study next time. But Nimrod is the antithesis of God on the earth. No problem doing whatever it takes. And he becomes a picture and a type of the coming Antichrist that's spoken of in 2 Thessalonians in Revelation. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, but later Babylon literally means that he, he built it as it was a gateway to God is what he believed. But Babylon speaks of the ultimate rebellion against God. And we know this, Babylon is ultimately destroyed in Revelation. All right, let's move on to the family in verse 15 of Canaan. It says, Canaan begot Sidon his firstborn in Heth, 
the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvidite, the Zemurite, the Hamathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. Verse 19. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then you go down towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. There were sons of Ham. These were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages in their lands and in their nations. So here's the line and family of Canaan, the son of Ham. Uh, we have brief information on the families of Canaan. One special note in this list is Sidon, the father of the Hittites. Uh, another note that you might want to mark in the verse 17 are the Sinites. Uh, these are the father of the Oriental peoples or the Chinese. And you notice all the ites in this line, it's significant. All the ites mentioned here in Genesis 10 become very significant when the children of Israel enter where? The promised land. Because they all face all these ites. These are all the enemies of God. They come through the line of Canaan. Now, verse 21. Children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. And to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmapheth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, Jobab, all these were sons of Joktan, verse 30, and their dwelling place was from Misha as you go toward Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. This is an important line, Shem. All the descendants of the Middle East come from Shem, but most importantly, Shem is the lineage by which Messiah comes. So this is significant. The Semitic peoples come through Shem. The most notable Semites are the descendants of Israel. Now remember the prophecy that was given of Noah about Shem, that he was to be the father of a people whose God, the only living and true God, was to be blessed. And so Shem's descendants were to reach out to the world and lead all people to worship and bless God. Now notice in verse 21 some highlights. Many scholars believe that in verse 21, the children of Eber is actually the root word from which we get our word Hebrew from. And the rest of the Bible is now focused on this important line and lineage, not only because of Israel, but because a Messiah would come through this blessed line of peoples. It says in uh, verse 22, Elam, he was the father of the Persian people, Elamites. Abram will settle in this area, and while there, an Elamite king will come and attack him. Asher was the father of the Assyrian peoples. Lud was the father of the Lydians who lived in Asia Minor, and we visit Asia Minor when we come through the rest of the study in the book of Acts. Aram was the father of the Syrians in Damascus. 
a language develops through the Syrians, the language known as Aramaic. The Aramaic language is one of three languages used in the Bible. Remember, the Old Testament is primarily written in the Hebrew language, with the exception of a few chapters in the book of Daniel that go and switch from Hebrew to Aramaic and then back to Hebrew. The New Testament was written in the common day language of the first century uh, in the area of Israel, which was Koine Greek. And that's why when you're reading translations in the English, uh, there are there are sentence structures and things that are help. Even with the New King James, I pointed this out before, but as you're reading through the New King James, you will see words added uh, in italics, not in the sense of adding to the Bible, but giving a phrase or a turn of phrase that might help it be better understood in the English language. Because if they just translated the Greek straight through, there's no punctuation and the sentence structures are different. And the Greek language is much more descriptive than English. So Aramaic develops through Aram and is used in the book of Daniel. Jesus himself would speak Aramaic as well. Back to verse 22. Uh, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad is in the direct line leading to Abram. And then Uz in verse 23, you Bible students know that Uz is that region of Arabia and later we know that Job is known to come from Uz. Joktan is another name. Uh, one of the names following are all associated with the Arab people in that region. Verse 29 is interesting because you have that name Ofer Havilah uh, and then Jobab. Now many scholars believe that this is an extended version of the name Job, of which is the oldest, believed to be the oldest book in the scriptures. This may be Job there. And these two were says were scattered across the globe. And we're reminded in, Job, in, in Genesis 10 of God's great love for the whole earth. As we close, it's very important to understand God's heart for the lost and God's heart for the world. And my encouragement to you, whether you're here now or listening on the radio, watching online, maybe listening at some later date when this airs on the radio, I'm asking you to consider those areas of your life where you're prejudiced, whatever it may be. Prejudice has an idea not only of prejudging, but thinking more highly of yourself than others. That when you prejudge someone, they're in a lower class than you or in a different class. And may the Lord, by his agape love, help us to tr show true love. That when we read John 3, 16, when it says God so loved the world, that we really mean it. We really mean the one struggling with sin. We really mean the one with a rough past. We really mean the one that's in prison right now. We really mean the one that just, is, their whole life has been one mistake after another, one failure after another. That we would learn how to actively, and again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. None of us can do this on our own, but that we would really learn how to walk in the grace of God. That we would really learn how to give second chances or third chances would participate with the restorative work of God, that we wouldn't be so quick to label people, that we wouldn't be so quick to be influenced by others that label people. And just, I agree with them. You know, they made such a convincing case in 30 seconds. But rather, I mean, I hope you guys are listening to Grace FM. I really do. And 
I mean, I, there's a little bit of a selfish part of that because I just know when you're listening to Bible studies, you'll, you'll be encouraged. Like you'll, the Lord will change you the more Bible study you listen to. I mean, you'll, you will change in another way listening to country music, but not listening to Bible studies. So it's worth it. But today on the show was just, was just the live show was just amazing. It was, God gave a gift to everybody who was listening. You should listen to the podcast, second half of the show toward the end. A gal calls up and shares how she's having a hard time forgiving herself for being such a rebel as a teenager. Just broken. And just can't, she's in her 30s. I think she said she was 38. And she's looking back at a season of her life and just admitting, you know, that she was such a rebel and so hard for her mom, her single mom. And, and she just went on sharing that. And, and as I'm listening and praying, I'm like, well... You know, and as I was leading, asking some follow-up questions, um, talking about she's having a hard time forgiving herself. And if that's something that you wrestle with, I, I shared with her, you know, not, we're working on a book right now. Hopefully it'll be done in the next three to four months on how to deal with your past, uh, how to have freedom from your past. Um, so we're working on that, and that's good. I taught those Bible studies that are up on our app, on our website. But, but I asked her for a picture I just wanted to know what did she mean by I don't forgive yourself. I don't want to assume. I don't know what she means. And as she began to explain it, she went right back to 13 years ago. So she fast-forwarded from the time with her mom um, because beating herself up for something that happened 20-something years ago is, is, is unique. I mean, we all have regrets, amen? Anybody have regrets? If we think back far enough, we all have regrets. So it was just unusual that she was so tethered to that season and and her mom has forgiven her and all that. So those of you who are listening, you know what she said. She said, 13 years ago, I had an abortion. And I just can't forgive myself. And that opened up a whole new channel of ministry, didn't it? It happened a whole new opportunity about how she's been held in bondage. It's one of the things the abortion industry or those that approve of abortion, and that's, 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 that's the big secret nobody wants to talk about the real deep-seated, painful damage that's done to a woman and often the man that participates in a decision. So she began to share that and she began to cry and very emotional time. And, and I took the opportunity to help her understand the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And, and yeah, I know if she had the information today, that back then what she had today, she would no way make that decision. But... You can't erase 13 years, and she's been living with it, living with it, living with it. The reason I believe it's relevant for our study tonight is that if you are watching the news or following all the Christian voices, you would think that abortion is some political stand to take. You would think that abortion, the, the primary way of stepping into abortion is just carry a sign and fight for this and yell on the steps because everyone else is yelling. So if everyone's yelling, then the Christians have to yell too. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ came to usher in a different kingdom. He came in to do a different work. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself identifying with the way people want you to identify. They'll convince you. I mean, after all, it's a, it's a good cause. After all, it's a righteous cause. And for us, you can even, it's a biblical cause to stand in the gap 
for the unborn and to stand in the gap for those who have no voice. Yes, 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 and yes. But who's going to reach out to the hurting? Who, who's going to reach out to the one carrying this pain for 13 years? And it's manifesting. That's not why she called. It's manifesting because she can't forgive herself the way she treated her mom. And it's just taken root as a bondage. It seemed like those two things were bondages in her life. And even in just a few moments on the radio, God was able to give some release to her and some freedom and some forgiveness. And I'm not advocating, I'm not here as a pastor to tell you how you engage in the culture wars and such like that. That's not my, I don't know. You could line up here one after another and ask, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I just want you from the pulpit here on behalf, I believe, speaking of God, that if you're not careful, you will adopt other people's views and opinions about things. And then you will say that's God's opinion and be fully convinced about it. And I just want to say and suggest to you that you might be wrong. And you spend your whole life and all your energy and passion on wrong things. When your neighbor the person that lives next to you, the person you share a fence with, the person that you see taking out the trash because she's somebody's neighbor. She lives somewhere. Is hurting because of a decision. With every Now everything's on, on the news and it's all back in her face. And all God wants for her is to know that he loves her and that he forgives her. And it's almost like you can hear the voice of Jesus in some way saying, just go and sin no more. Perhaps that's a testimony for you tonight. That's your story. Different name, different age, different, but that's your story. You're so wounded and crushed and broken. And then all the world has labels and narratives and you're hiding behind this and you're hiding behind that. I mean, we could go... And today's show was really, really powerful. What God wanted to do from just set free, set free, set free calls. That's what they were today. And God wants to set you free. You don't need to call some radio station to be set free. You can be set free right now. You can come clean before God. You can come with the open hands and say, Lord, here I am. Wash me and cleanse me. And maybe it's just back to the context of chapter 10 today. Maybe it's just back to cultivate a love for the world. Just a man, Lord, I just want more of your eyes. I want to see things from your perspective. And it could just be a love for Bible study. Maybe today you're like, oh, I'm going to look up every single name. It'll take you a couple hours, that's all. And you'll just do your own little Bible study and go, oh, Ed, I see where I got it now. Yeah, I use the same dictionary you do. But then you start to pray and the Lord says, no, this is for you. I don't want, I, you know, you look at Nimrod and you go, oh my gosh, what's going on with Nim? But Nimrod's before the Lord. Nothing's done that's not before the Lord. Nothing is hidden that won't be revealed. God sees all things. And he's just so faithful to us. So Father, I do pray that as we come to a close today and this, this chapter is just so fascinating. Um, give us a heart, God, for a love for your world. We all have room to grow in this. We all have our prejudices. We have our prejudgments. 
We have our failures in this area. Maybe we don't like the homeless. Maybe we don't like the rich. Maybe we don't like the white or the yellow or the black or the male or the female. I mean, whatever. And who are we? Who are we? But men and women receiving of your grace, undeserving, your undeserved love. And so we just celebrate tonight in our worship for your undeserved love. And we ask you to set us free. We ask you to set us free. That we would grow little by little, open to a fresh work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.